Hello and welcome back to another episode of DSLR Film New Podcast. This time Devin joins me today to discuss all kinds of stuff. We've actually got some products in the studio. We're going to talk about some LED lights as well as the E1 camera and some firmware updates. But first, Devin, what have you been up to, sir? I uh, started work at a new studio, um, hopefully uh, tech directing for them soon. Um, uh, other than that, it's uh, it's just been a lot of training and work and prepping and stuff like that. It's a newer kind of internet studio. All Their entire distribution is all based on internet, and yet um, they built the entire studio as if you would be building for broadcasts. It's all broadcast ENG cameras. The Steadicam even uses a broadcast ENG um, as well as all the switcher equipment and everything else, there's no black magic to be seen, which is kind of interesting because they just built up the studio about a year and a half ago. Uh, and they went with all like traditional, super expensive, top of the line broadcast gear. Uh, I mean, it shows in the production quality. It looks great. I'm just kind of surprised because mostly when you look at Internet studios, uh, they're kind of like, well, how cheap can I do this? And that's where you end up with black magic cameras and you end up with black magic uh, switchers. Uh, not that those aren't great and don't do their job. Uh, it's just one of those that usually the people who buy um, the Grass Valleys and everything else, they're the kind, they buy it because they grew up with it, they know it, and they trust that brand. Uh, as to p- newer people who are making internet content kind of just go for, you know, feature for dollar kind of systems. Whatever is cheapest, but it shows in Blackmagic products. No offense yeah. to Blackmagic, <laughs> they have some good stuff. Yeah, yeah, it but does. But there's always sometimes. weird glitches and random stuff that yeah. just goes like sideways when you have a Blackmagic production Like the, the white dots and the black uh, suns and everything else. Well, and you remember you have horrible syncing issues? I mean, just switching yeah. HDMI and audio through a couple of their devices and suddenly it goes, what? Well, yeah, and it's just it's one of those that seems like such an oversight because every other switcher you look at has built-in audio delayers because you're going to get delay syncing cameras together. There's, there's, I mean, while you could have time code and all these professional features, if you're not using a bunch of professional cameras that are all on Genlock, then your, your switcher is going to add a frame of delay in order to make sure everyone is getting there at the same time. That means that now there's a delay to video, and most switchers will go, oh, I added a frame of delay or I added a graphic. That's going to add a frame of delay. So that's two frames of delay, and they'll automatically delay audio to match. But in this case, Blackmagic just forego that and was like, yeah, we've, you can patch audio through, and you can adjust its gain, and that's about it. So you you have to use like an Aja box to like delay it, and now you're adding on more boxes to your Black Magic, and it's like, man, it'd be kind of nice if they just like kind of considered more circumstances with their switcher. But you know, part of it too is that it is the cheapest, I guess you could say, professional or broadcast standard switcher or something like that, if there's a name for it. Because uh, the only other one, it, it, like that, it would be up against would be a TriCaster. But uh, TriCasters have their own problems because they're just you know, software running on Windows 7 with some specialized drivers and hardware shoved together. And so they crash a lot and they have a lot of problems, but you know what? They have an audio delayer. When you punch inputs in there, they'll come out on time. So, uh, you know, it's, it's yeah, that's what you have in the lower Don't end worry, Blackmagic will fix it in firmware update number 27. It, that will be out next yeah. year. Yeah, that or a new model. So uh, on my end, uh, just finishing up some production stuff uh just released another blu-ray so that's working out great for me i am glad look at this smile on my face the smile says dj has not been stuck in front of a freaking computer editing nonstop. <laughs> i've just been doing a little bit of graphics work i've got some new cameras in the studio so i'm taking those around playing with them getting used to how i want their bags to be set up before i take them out and start shooting 
really good to be on hiatus for a couple weeks to have some free time to move. And actually, guys, I am moving. So there may be some weird shows where I'm just in an empty house with a chair uh, moving or across in the, the street. Park. Yeah, in the park. <laughs> oh, man. All right. On that note, I think it is time for the news. First up is something I actually wanted to discuss that I was kind of uh, hard on last time I talked about it. The Metabone Speed Booster. I've talked in the past and complained mostly about this device, uh, mainly because the lack of autofocus and regular controls. I know it does a great job of taking your crop factor down on the Panasonic GH4, but it has also kind of not been used as much as I thought it would be simply because of the lack of autofocus and the way I lazily shoot my video. Well, I just upgraded to the Black Mag or not Black Magic. Now we're talking we were talking about <laughs> yeah, Metabone Speed Booster. I just upgraded the firmware finally on the Metabone Speed Booster and I am pleasantly surprised at how well it performs. I've got my GH4 right here. And if you guys want to take a listen to this, we'll fire it up and you can hear how fast it focuses. Very reasonable mm -hmm. response. I don't think it's quite as good as the Kepin adapter that I have right here as far as AF goes. But, man, that makes the Metabone Speed Booster way better than I thought it would be. Now, Devin, does this tempt you into the camp? Yeah, of... it tempts me. I was already, like, uh, kind of interested in buying it. Uh, but... Uh, at the end of the day, I think when it comes to autofocus, I'm just going to go with the cheaper uh, Micro Four Thirds native glass anyways. Uh, just because looking at a lot of those, it's they're so low in price compared to a lot of Canon glass that I think for the most part, I'm going to just use a dumb Metabones booster with Rokinon lenses and a bunch of primes and use that as more as, as a cinematic filmmaking kit and then for photography, just have kind of native micro four thirds glass. So I get the benefit of a smaller size as well as, you know, not having adapters and, uh, you know, using giant expensive L series glass. Because uh, I kind of find when I need autofocus is usually when I need zoom. It's usually kind of photography work or documentary work. Uh, and that's also when I want like image stabilization too, uh, you know, for some things to consider. So all that put together the Metabone still isn't a killer for me because I don't already have a bunch of money invested in Canon. Like you, if I was coming from a Canon camp, then the Metabones with this autofocus and stuff like that would really be a godsend uh, for working with a smaller mirrorless camera. But for me, no. Um, since, since I'm coming from Micro Four Thirds, uh, it's like I might as well go with the cheaper glass. It still performs just as well, has autofocus. Some of them will have image stabilization, uh, as well as you know having some decent zooms there too. So for me, that's really what I'm going to look for for photography or documentary work. As opposed to, though, if I can find a speed booster, maybe as good as Metabones or close to for slightly less because I still think it's a little pricey, uh, then I'll be getting that for a bunch of uh, Canon or Nikon uh, primes for filmmaking, getting that super shallow depth of field and wide angle and everything else. I'm looking on uh, eBay right now, and you can find the version of the Speed Booster that I have for about three ninety nine to four hundred dollars used, uh, which isn't too bad actually. The how much did you buy when it was new? Six fifty? Uh, no, I I got it used as well, so I think I paid four seventy five for it. Uh, the okay. new price was like six fifty. And I think the newest version, the 0.64x multiplier, is uh, 
I want to say 650 again, or 600 at least. Um, they do have the older version on sale for 599 in a few places. So if you look around for that, you can get the the 0.71x multiplier version. Their naming is so weird on mm-hmm. Metabone's speed booster adapters because they have the one that's specific for Micro Four Thirds, but then they have that split into two lines. One is the line for the Blackmagic Pocket camera, and the other is for GH4 and Olympus camera bodies. Then on top of that, they came out with the 0.64x Ultra adapter, which is yet another <laughs> fork in that same group. So now you yeah. have yet another thing to choose from, and you got to make sure you get the right one because one of them, the glass actually dips further down into the body of the camera and can interfere or smack your sensor on a well, GH4 or, body. So or too, it can it can uh, not just smack your sensor but even some of them too will uh collide with the shutter for sure and so it's it's one of those where you could get away with it but you know if somebody forgets something and you switch it over into photo mode and you accidentally snap a picture you could completely destroy uh some of the internal workings of your camera yeah there was something about um going to electronic shutter and then making sure you like locked that in somehow in order to use the black magic adapter with this but regardless the af is very good i'm going to keep my uh Kepin adapter this guy right here simply because uh this will give me 2x on my canon lenses and this will give me 1.4x which is closer to APS-C. so I think I'm going to end up keeping my Metabones adapter after all. I did have to put a little bit of glue on it to keep the lens inside of the element from shaking around, though, which is very disappointing. Uh, yeah, especially for the price. You think build quality would be top-notch. Yeah, it's I mean, it's better than this guy, but this guy doesn't have any lens elements, and it's still made out of metal. So, uh, Also, this yeah. is 200 and, what, 30 bucks versus mm-hmm. uh, this guy right here. Uh, side note, while we're talking about firmware, if you do have the Kepin adapter, uh, and if you don't remember we talked about this, this is a AF adapter for the GH4 that allows you uh, full autofocus on your Canon lenses. This guy has a firmware update now that supports a number of lenses as well as the JVC LS300. So if you had that in your list of cameras that you wanted to kind of get your hands on, uh, that's now available. Now, I'm going to use that as a transition to this E1 camera right here. Uh, the Metabone Ooh. Speed Booster does not AF on <laughs> the E1. That thing's so uh, tiny, man. It's just like you pull it up in a cage and it still looks tiny. Oh, yeah. Oh. So uh, here is the E1 camera. I've been kind of posting some videos on that. Uh, you can find those links in the show notes. This is the uh, camera. Basically, I don't really kickstart very many things. I'm generally harsh on kickstart. He says that every time he brings up something he kickstarted. He says he but doesn't I, kickstart many things. I, I did kickstart <laughs> this. Uh, I paid $400, I believe, for this guy. And it is a Micro Four Thirds sensor, 60 megapixel. Uh, the, I believe it's the Panasonic sensor, same thing that you see in the GH4, uh, jammed into a body about the size. And here, right here, is the Hero 4 Black Edition. Uh, comparatively, you can see uh, roughly the same mm-hmm. as a Hero 4 Black Edition inside of its waterproof housing. So very small, very petite. I've also got, mm-hmm. while well, I'm camera showing here, the uh, Olympus Air. And you can see they're pretty much the same flange depth as each other. Mm-hmm. So, you know, basically the Olympus Air has most of what's going on inside of this guy. Now, the downside to this and well, let's start with the positive because I got a lot of downsides. Uh, the positive, it shoots 4K interchangeable lens, size of the GoPro, 
uh, has about an hour and a half battery life, so expect the same battery life as you'd get out of your GoPro Hero 4 Black Edition. The batteries are custom, and unfortunately, you only have two, so you're stuck with that until such time as <laughs> you can actually order more. The other bad things about this guy, actually starting with the bad things, is the screen is awful. This is yeah. just like a backpack uh, on a GoPro, so it's a really harsh TN LCD screen. As soon as you get even slightly off-angle, you can't see anything on there. Uh, the 4K footage I've been getting out of here, my footage I filmed looks a lot better than any of the other examples I've seen online, and I'm still not really happy with the 4K quality. Uh, in fact, a few people have mentioned that they think the iPhone 6S shoots better 4K video than <laughs> this guy right here. It definitely doesn't stand up to something like my LX100 or the GH4, but I would say the 1080p footage out of this, when it's scaled down from 4K, looks better than what you get out of a GoPro, and it is interchangeable lens. So it's got a lot of good things, and it's still kind of in beta. The firmware version is 2.2 right now, so they haven't even reached 1.0 on this, and it's still missing audio level meters, uh, On-screen displays are limited even when you have a monitor attached. It does have some good things as far as outputs and inputs go. It does have audio input. It has a mm. mini HDMI port instead of a micro HDMI port, which is nice. It's a little bit easier to find a cable that's uh, reasonable to plug things in. And I haven't found a real cage for it yet. Right now I'm using this uh, Sony A7S small rig cage that I've turned backwards <laughs> in order to accommodate it and taking off the uh, end stops but that's basically it for the e1 Devin, what do you think about this guy is this <laughs> something that's got you well, drooling without having my hands on it yeah i think it's a more professional looking uh gopro to be honest i think that that's probably the market space that thrives because i mean gopro footage too is pretty low bit rate uh there's you got to keep in mind that uh you know, the 4K footage not exactly being the best and everything else. These are all the same complaints you can make about uh, a Hero 4 Black. Is that, you know, whenever anyone, too, does, like, their test footage of, like, hey, look at the Hero 4 Black, this is what the 4K looks like, they never add any motion, which I always find obnoxious because so many codecs break down once you start to have motion. Um, even a super low bit rate will still look great if nothing's moving because we're talking temporal codecs. We're talking H.264. So, uh, but... Yeah, in your test, I see what people are saying, that it's maybe not exactly the best uh, 4K that they've ever seen. Uh, and for use, I'm sure they're thinking, you know, for using the Panasonic sensor, you think you'd get something a little better out of it. Um, uh, but I think, too, part of it is the size and the processor and everything else. Panasonic is doing a lot after that gets data from the processor to get the kind of image you're looking at. And this is probably doing more of a straight dump, which is kind of closer to what GoPro does. It just takes the footage and dumps it onto the memory card. Uh, so, but for the most part, I think it's, uh, it, I'm actually excited by it just because uh, one of the reasons I don't pick up something like, say, uh, an FZ300 or one of those other Panasonic 4K slightly cheaper point and shoot cameras is because. Uh, if I'm going to get something like that, I really want small size because I really want uh, all the mounting options I'm looking for. I also saw what looked like on there to a power port, which I'm all about because no cameras ever come with power ports these days, at least in the DSLR market. Yeah, so, so on the side, that was a barrel connector. Uh, the barrel connector is capable of powering the camera 
alone. I'm sure it's like what 12 to 14 volts or something. Uh, yeah, it's got a range. It probably regulates. I, I'm trying to read it right here. Uh, <laughs> I think it's 5.7 to like 18, something like that. Sure. Uh, so so that, that means you can plug any battery into it, and it's gonna take yeah, it and use it. Pretty so, much. And, the, and, and things like that are exciting because then when I, I mount it somewhere, I can mount it for a couple of hours and just let it run and hook up some, you know, either AC power to it or hook up a, a Sony MP, you know, adapter or something like that. Um, and like we talked about before, how there's two kinds of uh, two major kinds of Sony batteries. You can I could grab one of those 14 volt batteries and hook that up to it and that'll probably last it all day. And then I just have to worry about running out of memory. So which wouldn't be that much of an issue because of the smaller bit rate. Like, while everyone sees smaller bit rates as a problem, smaller bit rates are sometimes really nice to have if you're trying to shoot for long periods of time or time-lapsing or something like that. The compression rate on this, I think we're looking at around 60, 60 meg a second. So, uh, Which is poor for 4K. Yeah, which uh, is pretty... 4K isn't brilliant. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so figure about 32 gigs will get you an hour and maybe five minutes or so, hour and 10 minutes uh, give or mm-hmm. take, a, you know, I don't know if it's a CBR or a variable, but uh, regardless, mm-hmm. it's it has its pluses. Like I, I do like <laughs> a GoPro size camera that actually has autofocus, has the ability to control with a, a phone. You can do really e- nice even stuff, too, like change lenses out, but shutter I, control, yeah, things like that that you don't get on a GoPro. Yeah. You don't get shutter control on a GoPro. Yeah, you can actually change your shutter angle. Uh, it does take DNG raw files, so if you want to take pictures, you can take pictures with it. Uh, the other thing is they're still really kind of working on the development of this guy for the uh, codecs and LUTs for it. Um, mm-hmm. There is Z-Log on this, but the Z-Log, if you look at some of the footage <laughs> I recorded, it's not a It didn't look like log. Yeah, it, it doesn't look any, you know, very much different than sRGB that's recording in here. Also, the, there's no documentation really on the menu system right now. So you have things like uh, stuff that's labeled like C-A-E-I-F-G. And you're like, well, what does this do? Well, uh, that's <laughs> a frequency filter for audio. Like, well, how would I have gotten that? Out of the title, right. you know, maybe AF in there means audio frequency. I, I would have thought autofocus. I don't really know. Um, a little lost in translation, huh? Yeah, exactly. And you go to their website, and the website's just like uh, basically translated strictly from you know whatever Asian language <laughs> to English. So using it's, Google Translate, exactly. Yeah, so yeah. it's not the best. Um, the phone app itself is a little bit buggy yet. Uh, the camera itself is a bit buggy. I see a lot of potential in what they can actually do with this camera if they really dig in deep and, and actually write good firmware for this thing. But as mm-hmm. it is right now, I wouldn't use the 4K image out of this for anything in particular other than to scale down to 1080p. Uh, AF on Panasonic glass works great, but AF on Olympus glass is hit or miss. Uh, this thing is not able to take the batteries out and charge them in their own cradle, so you have to actually charge them inside the device. So you make sure your two, your only two batteries that you have are charged ahead of time. It's not fully baked. It's definitely not fully baked. It's cool, and I like the concept, but what I would rather have is the Olympus Air with 4K capability in the same you know square form factor. So I think that's where I'm at right now. I, I don't know. Devin, you have anything to add to that, man? Uh, you know what? It's one thing that people don't consider is even though you can say the, you know, low bit rate for the 4k, uh, you know, leaves a lot to be desired. Keep in mind that, uh, even if you're recording something like a four to zero 4k footage, 
when you downsample that to 1080p, for all intents and purposes, mostly in a nonlinear editor, there's some conversion software that works pretty well too. But when you down convert that, you're really getting a 1080p 444. And also too, because you're downsampling, you're getting rid of like moray aliasing and problems like that. They all start to diminish, you know, maybe not completely go away, but they start to diminish when you start downsampling uh, your pixels as well as you're increasing kind of the color depth because you're mixing the four pixels together that, you know, the compression was originally eliminating the color data of those pixels. So that's something to keep in mind too, is that even though like, yeah, it shoots 4K and people, you know, oh, but it's a crappy 4K. When you downsample and it looks good at 1080, that's mostly the reason why I shoot at 4K is, or is, is, is these cameras, you can get better color depth. And in some situations, you even end up with like a 1080p file that's 444 10-bit because of uh, the way that um, your nonlinear editor will start to, uh, you know, bring the colors together and figure out what the actual bit depth of that pixel is. So it, it, while a lot of people will just sneer at that and say that's unusable, to me, uh, that's part of the benefit of having a 4K option is that... Uh, you know, even though you can't do 4K, RAW, or whatever, 10 bits, whatever, you know, DNG, um, being able to downsample the 1080p, which everyone uses, and right now that's what everyone's TV set is, and that's what everyone's computer is, and everything else. Um, we love talking about 4K, but once again, you know, we could go into a huge conversation about distribution in 4K and how it's just not really there, and it's it probably won't be there for a long time. And even when it is there, it's such a small increase compared to when we went from standard F to 1080, so... Yeah, the uh, more A in this, by the way, is <laughs> is awful at 4K. Um, we're talking like <laughs> yeah, I bet. Uh, something like the reminiscent of the 5D Mark II. Uh, Jello Cam is very prevalent in this thing at 4K. Uh, Moray basically disappears for the most part when you downscale to 1080p. And I do pl- have plans to record with a Ninja out of the HDMI port to see kind of what image quality I can actually get out of this thing. Because that's undocumented too, right? What's yeah. actually coming out of the HDMI yeah, no one, if you get 422 or no 444. No and the manual is like no four pages knows. long, and it just says, here's how you turn it on, and has a QR code to download the freaking <laughs> app, and that's it. It, it right. is the least documented camera I have ever so there's, owned. So there's still, there's still a lot to explore about the camera, but I think uh, if you're looking for small action cameras, or once again too, like I said, if you don't have stuff that's moving, uh, say you're like recording something in a remote location and you're not moving the camera around and you're not handheld or doing slider shots and it's static shots, you might be surprised, um, you know, how good footage can look after a little bit of processing and sharpening and stuff like that. Uh, but it, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how things develop with their firmware and uh, what actual features are on the camera that are undocumented. Yeah, and if you uh, check on eBay or if you uh, swing over to Facebook and join the Facebook group, I'll have links to that in the show notes, uh, there are a few of these for sale on eBay for around 500 bucks, 499 something like that. So I think that's a bit pricey. I think this camera should probably be closer to 300 bucks to be honest. But Yeah, I paid 400 for it, and comparing that to my Hero 4 Black Edition, I would say that's a good value because what was the black edition at like four fifty five hundred five hundred four ninety nine? I think it was five hundred when it opened. It's been at four fifty, I think, now for a while. Yeah, but. and I bought it brand new, so I paid five hundred bucks for this. I paid four hundred for this guy, and I feel like I'm going to get more use out of this than I am out of this, simply because of the mm-hmm. the wide angle factor that drives me nuts, and I, I end up not using it nearly as much. When I first got the GoPro, I was, I was really excited about it. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. I shoot four K and crop in everything else, and then you're like, wait a minute. Lens distortion, 
lens distortion, lens distortion. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the footage on this, it, it breaks down pretty fast. And then not having basic, simple controls like ISO settings, you know, sure, great. Thanks for giving me Pro Tunes. You know, what does that do for yeah. me? Like, I, I can crank around on like a flat image a little bit. Woo. You right, know, I can right. kind of sort of like simulate the white balance. Great. Thank you. Awesome. Just what I always didn't want. You know, I just want actual <laughs> controls of the freaking camera. So in that regard, I think this is more of a big boy item. Uh, a lot of people are going to be disappointed, though, if they buy this for an action camera simply because it's it's complicated use. You know, it's not yeah. something you can just sit down and be like, bam, I'm going to push the button and it's going to start recording. In fact, that's why most of the footage I've seen out of this looks fairly awful is because <laughs> people aren't familiar with operating a camera to begin with. They go buy a really crummy, like uh, 14 to 45 kit lens. That's like f five, six to, you know, whatever. And they put it on here and then they're like, my footage doesn't look as good as yours. What's going on? Well, you know, you're shooting overexposed daylight and you're shooting underexposed yeah. in- interiors. You have, you know, sections of your shot blown out completely. You're not using any sort of protection when you're shooting with this. You're not setting it up correctly. And those settings, if you don't set this up right, you know, the dynamic range on this is pretty tight. It's probably 11 stops at best. So you really need to be very careful about, you know, shooting a sky with a freaking building. You know, that, that doesn't work. You can't do that. Uh, if you don't know you can't do that because you're used to shooting with a GoPro where it just auto-adjusts everything for you, then you're going to have some issues uh, going forward. And so not for people who don't use cameras. But chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, watching it, you probably know many of these things that I've talked about. And so this may be the camera for you. I will have a full write-up on this probably tonight or tomorrow whenever I get a chance to sit down and type it up. But I've been taking it out and shooting it for the last couple days have had a good time. Now, moving on (laughs) down the line, before I dive back into that camera yet again, let's talk about that YAGH adapter. Now, Devin, in the show notes here, you say you found it for $500, (laughs) but when I click on the link, it says $900. Tell me more about this. Really? Oh, my gosh. Uh, I guess that was a shorter sale than I thought it would be, because I added that a few days ago. Uh, Adorama, B&H, and uh, all those guys had it down to $500, so... Uh well now now I feel like since the the price isn't there anymore and that's bad on me for my research um you know it, it was just the question of if it was $500 I guess would uh would people be interested in it I mean we've we've talked about it many times we know the downsides of needing external power and the positives of having like really good preamps with audio levels and everything else XLR inputs phantom power all that stuff that we like uh does it become more worthwhile uh, for $500, I know for you, DJ, that's probably a no because you just hate rigging in general. So anything that requires external power is a no-go for you. But uh, for me, it would definitely become interesting uh, once a GH4 comes out. And I wouldn't be surprised either if this guy would be compatible with a GH5 uh, when it comes out. Because I've got a feeling the GH5 is probably going to be the same size as the GH4 and the GH3. And this will probably be a compatible accessory, and that's part of the reason why they feel they can justify such a large price for it. Now, I like, and for those of you listening to the audio cast, I'll, I'll, we'll talk about this for a second. This is the uh, YAGH adapter for the GH4. It is an audio adapter that also provides SDI inputs and outputs. It basically gives you all the big boy connections for the GH4 and turns it into something more than it really is. Uh, it also, what was the color space that it allows you to send out at 4K? Do you remember? Was uh, it 422? It, yeah. Uh, no, I or thought it, it did like 444. 
No, oh. at least four two two for sure. Mm. I know that at least. But um, that yeah. that's how people would get a better four K recording is with this adapter in order to get four uh, SDI outs or whatever and hook that up to your Odyssey or whatever you got for doing four K recording. Now I mentioned this in the show notes, and uh, this is something I firmly believe. I think Panasonic would have been better served as opposed to creating this adapter that gives you better 4K out of the camera. Most of the people that purchase the GH4 uh, from the groups that I have met shoot the 4K internally to the camera. They don't they don't bother with external recorders, what have you. There are enough cameras in a good price range that shoot 4K that don't need to have an external recorder that make it sort of not necessary. So you buy this camera to shoot 4K internally or to shoot 1080p, and you buy it for the features that are available with the camera. If they would have just released this with a actual battery setup inside of the grip <laughs> and XLR inputs, I think they would have had a much more marketable product. Look at the Sony K1M, which is their XLR audio adapter that uses, uh, I believe, Sony's proprietary little hot shoe mount. And here mm-hmm. is a picture of one right here. You guys can see. Uh, this is perfect. It comes with a boom mic. It has two XLR inputs, audio controls, fan of power, all the regular stuff that you would need for an audio adapter for your camera, but it isn't just something like a Beach Tech or a Juice Link that needs to be plugged in externally. It runs off the camera's batteries. It is not going through the 3.5 millimeter jack, and it gives you full audio controls on your device. Now, if Panasonic would have done that with the YAGH, I think a lot of people would have bought that, especially if it was priced at like three to $700. I would have sure, gladly yeah. paid that to have two XLR inputs on my GH4. That's, that's perfect. That's exactly what I want. But with this adapter, now I have to have external power. So I either need an XLR yep. power input, I need a cord of some kind or some battery packs. Then I'm going to need rails because, you know, I'm going to have to mount some extra crap to this thing. And then on top of that, you know, yes, SDI yes, connections yes. are nice, but how many like SDI I said, monitors do I have? DJ wouldn't be a fan. DJ isn't a fan. Um... Me, personally, I don't have a problem with throwing an extra battery on there, uh, you know, getting a V-mount or something like that, using a D-tap to get over to XLR power to power this thing. So uh, if it was down to 500, I would seriously consider it. What you do get, uh, I confirmed it, is you get 4K, 422, 10-bit for external recording. So you get some pretty decent color data out of this thing, uh, which I think puts it, that's about the same thing you get out of the Sony A7S, right, when you do external HDMI? Uh, Uh, I want to say it was 420. Uh, external. Oh, really? Okay. Maybe not. No one quote I, me on I, that because I haven't <laughs> looked at the specs. I don't shoot 4K at all on my but, Sony 7S. So. But having the thing is, is that this is still a tight package uh, that works like integrated into it. I hate stuff that is audio preamps and stuff like that that are external. Like I use them all the time, but I hate having stuff hanging off of it or whatever to, just to get like a decent preamp so I can do have an XLR input on my DSLR. So this is a small, like, kind of bottom grip for your camera that would give you XLR input. And I know you're holding up a Beach Tech or an yeah, iRig or whatever no, you've got. You're I, absolutely right. I have I have uh, six of these too many of, devices, of them. Too many. They're, they're strapped to all my cameras all the freaking time. Uh, they're not the most ideal situation for audio. And a lot of times, if your camera doesn't provide headphone outputs afterwards, you're you're basically hoping that audio is going into your camera well. Uh, right. And that's where like the Sony unit really succeeds. And maybe having something like this only with freaking batteries inside of it. Would sure. Be well, or or. Even even if it could use the battery that's built into it, but I mean, you're talking about cutting down battery life by running, um, you know, phantom power and stuff like that. But still, the battery on the GH4 is so good. 
uh, you would think, yeah. I mean, the problem is, though, is like replacing the battery. I think it's just they try to cram too many things into one box, and we've talked about this again. We really don't need to, but uh, they, they crammed the timecode functionality for Genlock and everything else, all these professional features, and I just don't think there's that big of a market for people to use GH4s as a studio camera or maybe an on-location camera that goes into a satellite truck or something like that. People just aren't using the product for that, and I think you'd be hard-pressed to try to convince them to buy this to turn it into that kind of camera. I can see what they're thinking, uh, but I don't think it was marketed that way, and I don't think then people really in the industry picked it up that way. So if you just gave the preamps uh, and ignored the SDIs and everything else and then allowed you know a battery to be shoved in the side of it so you'd have a battery grip with uh, your audio preamps built into it, everyone would have bought that up. You know, even even if it was seven hundred to eight hundred dollars, uh, because I imagine it wouldn't cost as much as all this SDI conversion and that stuff that's going on here. Uh, if it was like seven hundred bucks, I bet you so many people would buy it and mount it onto their GH4 because they get extra battery life and XLR inputs, and they go, "Oh, this makes it the perfect location to or the perfect camera to have on location where I can get battery life that'll last me for." a quarter to half a day, as well as having the, uh, you know, the audio interface I really need to get the job done. Now, you're talking about batteries here, and I just want to show you what kind of pathetic <laughs> thing is in the Sony a7S. Uh, this is the battery for the Sony a7S. It is a 1,000 milliamp hour. So I'm holding a GH4 battery in my hand right now, and it's a 2,200 milliamp hour. So roughly mm -hmm. half the capacity, and yet Sony still expects you to power your XLR audio adapter via mm -hmm. the uh, camera battery itself. So you want to talk about poor battery life. Even without the adapter, <laughs> the A7S, I've got six batteries. Just, yeah, I know. And it just eats right through them. The GH4 one will thing at least you do can't... a couple hours. Yeah, you can't fault the, G the GH3, GH4, man. That thing will run for hours on one of those little batteries, which is just generally unheard of. Because back when uh, you know we were all shooting with like a T2i, how long did a T2i last in video and mode? Maybe like uh, an hour and a half? 45 minutes to an hour, depending on whether <laughs> you shut it off or not. Ugh. Right. So uh, I've always loved that about my Panasonic is that, you know, I when I first got my Panasonic, I think I bought three more batteries, but I only end up really using one and a half on every shoot I go on. I've never had a need to use three or four batteries. So I know uh, going and out most of the time I only need one. I know going out oh, on a really? full day shoot for a Canon 5D Mark III, I will bring eight batteries with me, and <laughs> I will go through about a battery every hour and a half, roughly. Mm -hmm. uh, the GH4, I want to say two hours on the high side, but it it's still about in line with the Canon 5D Mark III for battery usage in in my estimates. I, I've never done an official, sure. like, you know, get my stopwatch and put the battery in and, and check. Yeah, it's yeah. just kind of like when you remember to change the batteries. And I've actually gotten in trouble I think, did we talk about the battery grip issue I ran into with the 5D Mark III? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so. because I was like, yeah, I use a battery grip, and you're like, they're evil. And I'm like, well, the Panasonic one doesn't take over your battery. It gives you two batteries for the price of one. And um, and for whatever reason, too, I think because it uses two batteries like that, it, it almost has its own line conditioner. But I can completely understand if you've got a cheap uh, grip, and that's running the camera... And then the connections, the wiring inside of that grip and everything else, you know, uh, maybe it's off brand or maybe it just, you know, you have a funky product or something like that can cause issues with the voltage that's coming into the product, which can cause it to react. And like you said, have lines through the video and all kinds of crazy stuff uh, that you would never hope to see. 
Um, but in my case, I bought a super cheap, it was maybe 40 bucks off brand for my GH3. And I've never had one problem with it uh, other than the buttons and the switches being super cheap and, uh, you know, the uh, print on them wearing out because it was super say, cheap. Say buttons one more time for me. Buttons. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> All right. Everyone uh, gives me crap for that. that. That's enough on the YAGH. Uh, I do have some links in the show notes. Uh, it is for sale in a few places on eBay for about six ninety nine. So if you are looking for one of those, uh, something to think about. Now, let's talk about LED lights here because uh, I go back and forth on whether I like, dislike, hate, love LED lights. <laughs> um, my collection here, and I'm going to spin my camera around so you guys can see this. I've got a torch LED bolt. I actually own three of those. They're fairly expensive LED lights, and I like them for what they are. They're good for, uh, you know, point lighting, but they don't have any sort of diffusion at all. Even if you put a diffuser on there, they sell some like $60 inflatable diffusers. They don't really spread out nearly as much as you get out of like a CFL. And so Mm -hmm. I was complaining about that to Devin, and Devin's like, well, haven't you seen this Devin, first <laughs> sure. let's talk about the thing you showed me, and then let's talk about this Kickstarter. Right. Yeah, and then we'll move on to the Kickstarter. So uh, this, I noticed this popped up. Uh, this is um, an Amazon Chinese uh, kind of you know uh, cheap product you buy off of eBay. But what I'm holding up is an LED light that's a little larger than your uh, your CN160s or whatever Cowboy Studios, newer or whatever. You, you know the kind I'm talking about, the $25 yeah, guys. Yeah, the super cheap uh, LED lights for like 30 yeah. bucks. I've got like three of them because you can just throw them away after you're done. It doesn't matter. Uh, this guy runs for, uh, for me, I was surprised by the price because this super thin guy runs for about 35 bucks a pop. Um, you know, you'll pay more if you want to get batteries with it and all kinds of stuff. But uh, this guy, uh, it does uh, what uh, the product we're going to talk about for the Kickstarter does too, more or less, which is uh, an edge lit light. If you've ever seen an LED light that's just completely white like this, uh, there's actually, I mean, like a super fine pattern on it, but it's for all intents and purposes, uh, super white. And you put on um, a cheap, uh, you know, Sony battery or whatever on the thing. And uh, it's just a completely flat light source. So it's super soft. I can turn it up a little bit and light my face. Uh, You can turn it up all the way. I can light my wall. And you can see the fall off is really smooth and the spread on it is really wide. Uh, So you can fill an entire corner with it. I actually use this during the show. I hang it up over my monitors like this because I've got a white wall behind me. So it actually like softens it even more. But um, this guy here um, also does temperature as well. Hmm. So you can change. It's just overexposing myself like crazy. So you've got some orange in here. You know, you've got daylight and you can mix in between. Uh, But the thing is, is it was 35 bucks. I go, oh, if it lasts me for a year, I've made money. Um, But it's really just edge lit. And that's that's the fascinating part is that this has less LEDs than one of those uh, 160s. But I believe uh, not that I've torn it down, but I believe it's running uh, more intense LEDs. Uh, and it has them all edge lit. Now, keep in mind, you're not going to get a lot of punch, and it's not going to go very far. Uh, but it will get you a big, wide, soft source out of a very small package. Uh, and that's what DJ is really looking for because, uh, you know, DJ doesn't like doing dramatic lighting or film war or any kind of those no, films. No, hold he's, on a second. He's I, really big into having big, white, you know, china balls. That's how he lights his sets. With I have a, a good <laughs> set of of um hmis that do a great job uh, i can like aim at whatever you know and my torch led bolts are the same way like i can really point light anything i want it's just that sometimes and actually most of the time uh, for paying work 
I need to go in and I need to put some soft light in the corner. I need to light someone with a three-point lighting set and I need to film them talking into the camera and that is all I need. I do not need <laughs> to be artistic. I do not need to be dramatic. Uh, yes, yeah, I yes, would definitely yes. carry with me some China balls if I could actually get away with that. But this <laughs> looks perfect for me. This, yeah, it, it and I, I think it would be for you. I've already taken it on a few shoots because I just got it a few days ago. Like I said, these things just popped up. I've seen more expensive models. There's a flapjack. Right. I need a link, man. What is you the need model? A link. What, what I'll is find the name a link. of the model? Um, this is a Lux, an LUX, LuxPad 22 by Lux CNG. Pad 22. I'm sure there's five different brands. I'm sure you'll find a newer and everything else with this too. But Oh, yeah, $48 on Amazon right now. I will put a link in the show notes, guys. Uh, yeah, holy cow. Okay. Um, um, it's got it's got a battery meter, which is nice. Your four LED battery meters. Um, and yeah, you can see it there. Like I said, I picked up a pair of them for about 55 uh, so if you shop around, there might be a few different brands if you, for a few different prices. Um, one, uh, I guess as a short review, it comes with a little AA adapter too to run it off of AA's if you're into that kind of thing. Um, one, <laughs> That's a lot of AA's. One thing, one thing I like about this is, or, um, is that it's got an actual power switch on the back. Um, I can't tell you how frustrated I am. If you do buy those super cheap 160s, whatever, uh, $25 LED panels, the switch for the dimmer is also the power switch. So if you take a break for 10 minutes, you want to say battery power and turn it off, you have to turn it back on and kind of hunt for where you had the light set before. This has got a switch on the back that you can click on and off. So once you have your dimness set or your um, color set, it's left there. Uh, one thing I hate is that there's no quarter 20 on the bottom. It seems like the biggest oversight in the world. Uh, the little tilt adapter, hot cold shoe adapter it comes with has quarter 20s in it. So you can use that in conjunction. It comes with like a quarter 20 option, but I didn't want to have to carry that in my bag. I wish I could just carry this in my camera bag with a quarter 20 on the bottom, then attach it to a light stand or, uh, you know, a magic arm or something like that and be able to so put it So is that using like to. a reverse uh, cold shoe, like the the flat part of a cold shoe to slide in that hooks onto yeah. the light? Is, yep. is that what I'm yeah, seeing? The bottom, the bottom of it is uh, basically just a, Upside a down cold, cold shoe, shoe adapter and the little tilt adapter it comes with. Uh, is actually just two cold shoes with quarter twenties in them on both ends. Oh, that's wacky. So it, yeah, it is. It is wacky, and it's just one of those that I'm sure it's because of a limit of space for how skinny they're trying to make it. But there's no quarter twenty in it. And I just wish that there was a hump in there so I could get a quarter twenty in there. Save me from bringing around those stupid tilt brackets that I really don't need. But yeah, you know, I was so actually surprised. Besides all that, when you talked about this, because we talked about this before the show started, and, and Devin was like, "Yeah, you don't have to adjust your color every time you turn it off." And I'm like, "What?" Because I've uh, I've only ever yeah. had the expensive LED uh, lights, <laughs> and all of those have a switch, and then they have separate dials for settings. But apparently, those I've only had the cheap ones. Units you have to twist all the way around, <laughs> set your color, and then when you want to turn it off, you have to actually either take the battery out or, or turn it back all the way to the end of the dial position. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's a it's obnoxious. Um, if you're taking breaks and so it's one of those minor things where you're like, well, I got this for twenty five bucks. What do I expect? Um, but yeah, so this guy is super soft. It, it keeps getting marketed as a like baby light, like a specifically a light made for uh, doing baby photos and stuff like that, what? which I find really interesting. I guess because they're like, oh, it's a small light for a small subject where you want a you know a really soft source. Hang this over your like, baby. Yeah, I and guess this that's cheap right, connector but... won't smash it in the face. <laughs> Great, good idea. Yeah. What? But anyway, so edge lit lights are becoming more and more popular as people want LEDs to be 
uh, more diffused, uh, you know, more softer and stuff like that. Um, and rather than getting LEDs with a really wide spread, because those are generally expensive and I think a little bit less efficient, uh, they're using cheaper LEDs that have a very narrow spread and they're ed- putting them around the edge and they're shooting light into a diffused source, uh, usually with a silver backing or something like that. And it works just like your skinny TVs. Your edge lit TVs work the exact same way. Um, here, you just don't have a screen in front of it. Uh, so it's kind of it's exciting to see that because I really want LED lights I can fit in my bag. And this was one of those that gives a great option for getting an LED light that's going to uh, fit in your camera bag pretty snugly. So uh, just like the Kickstarter we're looking at uh, is also, uh, you can tell by its design, made to fit into your camera bag uh, while providing you a lot of power. Now let's talk about this Kickstarter for a second. Uh, This is a much more expensive version of that edge-lit light. Uh, It looks like it will range you between $250 and uh, about, what, $400 roughly? Uh, yes. for the individual panels, depending on what accessories you choose. It is machined aluminum. It does have a very nice frame. Uh, Lighting-wise, it's the spread I love. And actually, I saw this before you put it in the show notes, and I was hovering over <laughs> the uh, set of six for, uh, twenty. Uh, what is it, $2,300? That mm-hmm. is a very nice setup. Uh, that would give me all the lights I need in something that would fit into a small camera bag. But then I'm moving, so I want to make sure I don't uh, over budget, and I already have enough lights as is. Now, this does look good in all the video demos. They've built a ring mm-hmm. that's adaptable for your camera, so you can get that nice glowing eye look if you'd like. Uh, and all the examples and stuff look really good, but what do you think on price? Is this overpriced for what it is, or um, do you think that's reasonable what they're asking? I think it's reasonable because uh, the output on this guy. Uh, which they've got a uh, 24-watt LED. I don't know what that's supposed to be equivalent of. And like I said, I'm sure that there's a little bit of uh, brightness loss because it's using a diffuse pattern. You're always going to lose energy okay, over distance so with a diffuse pattern. Okay, so it's 24-watt LED usage. That's the actual power usage? Yeah, that's what I'm guessing. It, okay. says, power, well, no, it says power output is 24-watt. So I don't know if they mean incandescent or if they mean like it's that's the power it requires to run is 24. Yeah, you can't, that's rate, what I'm saying. Yeah, you can't rate LEDs in, in watts. So you usually have to use no. like lux as your measurement. But And I couldn't – yeah, and so they say an output of 600 lux at one meter. I can tell you that my torch LED bolts are uh, – they consume like 13 to 14 watts on the input, but the LEDs are rated for 20 watts, and it is about a 200-ish watt equivalent light bulb source of light. So mm-hmm. three of them gives you like the basic 600 watts that you would expect for you know lighting sure. something. Uh, so if, it's th- if that's the case, and you know I'm not a light expert, so don't get me there, but I would equate that to roughly the same light output, maybe a 200-watt light bulb at, what, one meter, so three feet roughly? Does that sound reasonable to you? Yeah, that sounds that's, – that pseudo-math sounds about right to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, – the uh, they're only they only come in daylight balanced, uh, which I kind of prefer. Uh, they they make little stick on gels and stuff like that that they kind of advertise different ways to use it. The one thing that frustrates me is they don't come with any battery mounting options. I can understand they're using the entire back of it as a heat sink. This guy's probably going to run pretty warm. Obviously, he's not going to run hot like four point five he- watts, man. <laughs> really mean, amps? Excuse me, four point five amps. Uh, on a 6 to 24-volt uh, source. So you're talking 
very significant <laughs> heat. Uh, yeah. These LEDs they're probably using in here are are massive, I would guess. It, it, that's a lot of juice. It, it, it is a lot of juice, and that's what's frustrating is that they don't provide um, a battery option uh, at all. I mean, not that I would suspect them to come up with their own batteries or make them rechargeable, uh, but if they're if they had something like they're like, oh, you can use the 14 volt Sony's, or oh, it'll come with a, a D tap adapter, so you can hook this up to a gold mount or something like that, and here's a spot where you can fit it. It's just like the light is great, but they don't provide portable power, so they've created a portable light, and there's no like I don't know cage on the back or arm or something like that where you'd put a battery. And I know it sounds like such a small thing. Um, but after I stick this on a light stand or I stick this on a gorilla pod up in the corner or something like that, I'm going to be like, okay, where do I put my battery? And then I've got to find a way to mount a battery now. And it seems like such a small thing, but that's something that would keep me from using it all the time is if I always have to hunt for a way to, uh, mount the power source for it. If it's a studio use and I'm just hooking up AC, which these all come with AC adapters, then no, I wouldn't care. Cause I'd be like, oh great. I get this tiny little light. I get, you know, an AC adapter. Uh, and you know, I don't care. I'll just turn it off and on when I need it and uh, not worry about the battery power. But here they kind of advertise taking it on location, being really small and portable, uh, but they don't advertise how to handle the power issue. Uh, but what I do like is that these guys are super wide and they're super soft, uh, and they're super bright. Um, a lot of the super wide and soft ones are not bright because they're keeping the same voltage or, uh, not the same voltage, same wattage and amperage roughly, uh, they're just diffusing it more. So like the $35, $50 one we talked about before, uh, that one is using the same amount of energy as the other cheap ones. It's just diffusing it more is all it's doing. This guy is diffusing it more and then applying more power to make up for the fact that it's diffused. So um, so it, it really seems like kind of an ultimate portable light. And then it seems to be missing the portable power option. Uh, I don't even need it to come with a battery, but just come with like a 3D printed cage that I can mount the battery on or something like that. I don't know. It just now it, it I'm, seems I'm looking a at the images, and I do see that there is some sort of clip uh, as you watch this particular shot. Uh, where is it? Right here. Show me as, a clip. So if you watch this shot right here, as as soon as it shows the back of this, mm -hmm. you'll see. Hold on, one more cycling picture after this. <laughs> right there. See yes, that clip? Right. There was yeah. a battery attached to the back, so they do have some sort of clip. And if you look in the descriptions here, it says something about... Does it say it comes with clips? Yeah, battery clip and cable. So right there, battery clip and cable. So there is some right, sort of... but what battery is that? I'm looking at it, and I have no idea what kind of battery I mean, they'll is. tell you once they're done getting all your money, I guess. Probably. <laughs> well, and it looks like a D-tap. It looks like they're running a D-tap into the light itself. Uh, so it could be like a half-size V-mount or something like that, because it doesn't look full-size, but it is a D-tap. So yeah. that means it's probably a 14-volt battery. Anyways... Uh, you know, it'd be nice too to like get some ideas of what the uh, battery life would be, you know. But that's the thing is that they don't discuss the power at all, which is a little frustrating. Because if it's a four point five amp draw, I'm not gonna. I wouldn't think you'd get more than an hour, hour and a half, even on a very robust battery, because that's a hell of a lot of juice. It, even if you had like an Anton Bauer 190 watt watt hour battery that one i mean that would power a couple of these for like half a day you know 4.5 yeah. amps that is a significant draw on a battery yeah. actually more like two hours i would guess that that is crazy how much heat this is going <laughs> to generate how much power this is going to eat up i mean we're talking 
13 watts at 7 volts, so that's like less than an amp. And that with a big – that's my torch LED bolt. And with a yeah. a big FP battery like the 95 series, uh, it'll go maybe like an hour and a half maximum before it eats that battery up. And this is going to sure. use – Four and a half times as much power. You're almost going to have to have these plugged in uh, for any sort of long-term daily use. And then that heat sink, I mean, looking at the pictures, man, that is all heat sink. Oh, it's sink. serious. And my torch LED bolts, like I can put my hand above it right now. And I mean, it's a little heater. Like, <laughs> you know, the whole thing is like ventilated. Uh, looking at the, I mean, look at the frame right there. Like underneath of this mm-hmm. is all heat sink all the way around on on all sides and you know no water exposure or anything this does look a little bit better built though than my torch led bolts they're not made it out looks of built like stuff, a tank so. i'm gonna be honest the build quality it looks built like a tank so i'm sure it would last for years and years to come and uh, judging by the guys who are building it and everything they've said about it i'm sure that the whites are going to be absolutely brilliant on it and it's going to look great um, and it's going to also, too, with having that much punch, it's going to give you some options to use um, uh, to bounce off reflectors and, uh, you know, maybe diffuse or something like that. So uh, I, I'm excited for it. It's just it's scary for me to jump into uh, possibly buying one or two of these without me fully understanding what it's going to cost me in order to power it. Because uh, just for me as a shooter, uh, mobile is what I need to be concerned about most of the time. And um if uh, and, and so if mobile's going to cost me a lot of money too, uh, then this isn't something I'll be that excited for. So, you know, we'll we'll see as things keep developing. I, you know, I may ask them a question or something in the comments and try to figure out what they use for power and what they recommend. But uh, in any case, it's still an exciting light to see. And of course, DJ is like, yes, finally a big soft source that you know. Actually, you know uh, what I've been looking at, and uh, this is the other one. Uh, Aperture has the the new Lightstorm series of LED. Uh, bolts or not LED bolts. Uh, the bolt is the other thing. Uh, their mm-hmm. their Lightstorm lights have uh, a controller that allows easy dimming. Uh, it'll work with like regular light controller setup, so you can use a mixing board for lights. You can pulse this based on audio inputs and so on. It's it's got a lot of DMX. Yeah, a lot of great DMX control features. So I mean, not only can you run your smoke machine, <laughs> you can run <laughs> your lighting setup too. But uh, these guys are about four hundred and ninety-five dollars, uh, significantly more light output, and again, same principle—not edge lit, but as far as the heat sink built into mm-hmm. the entire back of the unit. There, uh, I saw a couple of these at a trade show and really liked them. And uh, I've talked to the Aperture reps a few times, and they've told me yeah. that they're expanding and, this and making uh, a few more extra. Do you see how that has that has a built-in battery mount? Do you see how that has a built-in I do. B mount? I do. And it's kind of nice. Even though it's a bigger, that one's not going to fit in your camera bag. Uh, that one you're going to have a separate bag for if you're taking it on location. Uh, but still, that, that guy has a built-in V-mount, which uh, when I've been out, uh, you know, working ENG News or something like that, everyone who brings out an LED light, if they don't have the satellite truck and the Jenny to power it, uh, they're using an LED light that's got a gold mount in the back of it so they can pop batteries on and off and it'll last them as long as it needs and everything else. So... This is smaller, so it's one of those where it's like it's super small, but then if in order to run this thing, I need a gold mount battery, I'm like foregoing the size and the weight benefits I'm getting, and I'm like, I might as well just grab a bigger bag and get you know a bigger light source and stuff like that. But anyways, uh, options are out there. I'm, 
Oh, I don't want to nerd out too much on power, but one of the things that's really worth spending some money on, guys, if you ever have to shoot location stuff on a regular basis, is to get yourself one of those ultra-quiet whisper Honda generators. They're very (laughs) small. If your light sources are LED sources or CFL sources, they don't take up a ton of power, and you can get four or five lights running off of a single 1,000-watt unit without blowing the breaker on your generator, and you can set them within 20 or 30 feet of your shooting area and they won't affect your audio because they're just so freaking quiet you can rent them from home depot or anywhere else for i think 64 or 70 dollars a day is what i usually budget for them Uh, or you can buy one yourself for about a thousand dollars totally worth the investment way better than any of those cheap harbor freight generators someone will try and talk you into Mm. and they have really good warranty too so Definitely, they're worth it. Honda makes good generators. Oh man, for small production, Honda generators are worth it. No one ever thinks about that. They're like, we're gonna go shoot in the woods. We've got batteries. Yeah, good idea. Now you go like four hours and you're out of power and like you have to end the shoot for the day, even though you made everybody trudge their way out to this remote location. Get a freaking generator. Totally worth it. Spend the money <laughs> on right. it. Okay, that's enough on generators. We got it. Yeah, we got to hurry up and get through these stories here. All right, last one Finish here. Or, last one in the Kickstarter panel is actually this adapter slash all-in-one motion controlling system. Uh, this is the Hercules. Uh, pricing is pretty good, between 100 to $250 to get the more advanced model. Devin, what do you think of this? Mm-hmm. Do you think all-in-ones are the thing of the future? And You know what? No, no. I don't think all-in-ones are of the future because I know DJ's going to jump in there and be like, hey, man, uh, there's so many. Look at all these systems that are claimed to be all-in-ones. You already can read my mind are. because I've written down everything <laughs> that I'm you've going to down. say. Yeah. Uh, but um, uh, here, it just it seemed like for the pricing, it seemed like you really can't go wrong because um, – it's built for doing a little bit of time lapsing. Uh, you know, well, first, you can Devin, for the audio pivot. listeners, yeah, that's tell right. Them. For the audio listeners, it's hard to describe because there really isn't anything like it in terms of what it looks like. But uh, as a function, it's it's a small tube with a motor on the end of it that runs off of a AAA battery for I think like a, an hour at max speed, and then something like five days if you're doing a time lapse at the lowest speed. Uh, but uh, it's interesting because uh, from an engineering standpoint, it's very simple. It's just a tube with a motor and a wheel on the end of it. And then you either attach other wheels. I mean, this thing is only a couple inches long or other small platforms or whatever to mount your camera on top of that. Uh, it's, it's you know, they advertise as a motion control system. You can buy a little uh, groove that it, like a slider that it can be motorized and do slide moves and stuff like that. Uh, but the thing is super quiet. And it's very, I mean, efficient for the battery life, uh, considering it's just a AAA battery. Very efficient. And I think it would pair uh, amazingly with something like cell phone or a GoPro. They do show DSLRs on there. Uh, but they, so far, they've only shown, like, kind of mirrorless DSLRs with, like, mirrorless lenses. Yeah. So I'm not sure you'd get I'm not sure you'd get all that kind of stuff out of it. But uh, for me personally, I was interested in it because while everyone says, well, how many flat services are you going to find? I'm kind of like, well, you'd be surprised what kind of flat services you can find. Um, another thing that I'd be considering, too, is that there's a, a roll-up mat that I have that I bought a long time ago because I saw it go on sale for like 10 bucks, and then I never used it. But the whole idea was for one of those skater dollies with the uh, rollerblade wheels on it, you'd put down this super thick mat that's super soft, and it would turn a, a kind of rough surface into a smooth surface. Um and so I'm, I'm always like, oh, well, maybe if I use that with this and the big wheels, it would totally work out. Um, 
But for me, I just see it as being something that is so small that you can literally just like throw it in one of the little cubbies in your camera bag. And then when you're out on location, uh, you can, you know, uh, get a few time lapse shots or, you know, do kind of a, a pan or do a, a small dolly or something like that. Not for a client, not for anything professional, but just for out making videos, maybe with your friends or something like that. DJ has the god of all dollies right I'm, there. I'm concerning myself or I'm, I'm, I'm showing this because this is something that I always thought I needed and then I got and I've only used on two shoots maximum. Uh, this is a Canova uh, wheel slider with the adjustable, uh, you know, you set your points, mm -hmm. wh whatever. And you can go in circles around things. You can set up your track to, to match it's, angles. It's slightly, it's slightly larger than a penny board, if you know what that is, yes. terminology. Uh, it's, it's really nice. I mean, like, it's well-made and everything. But I bought this thinking, oh, man, you know, for that time I'm in a kitchen and I need to, you know, go across the countertops mm -hmm. and film someone walking or – or whatever, and the track on this is is wide enough that you really need a big surface in order to slide it yeah. around. And you don't think about that until you get it, and then you're like, "Well, wait a minute, uh, you know, this isn't big enough. I could, well, I could carry two boards. Well, yeah, maybe uh, if you can find somewhere to set the freaking boards and like get them in your car, or your truck, or whatever." Yeah. Now, this the thing I like about this all-in-one thing. It's not that I like all-in-one devices, but the fact that it's so small means that you could ideally bring some like roll out linoleum with you and drive it around on that and probably be okay and that's probably similar to the mat stuff that you were talking about whereas something yeah. like this it's just too freaking big for that sort of application uh the motor drive on this is also really cool because you can set up time for the motion to move around so as it scrolls and i'm gonna go ahead and get back to the image here it basically can go in a moving direction however slow or however fast you want. So not bad. The price on this is way cheaper than a lot of motion control systems. For the full option, it looks like $329. Uh, looks like they're supposed to be delivering in December. Uh, the kick here is that it's already in production. They're just using this to get their final approval for materials and stuff. So uh, right. interesting, definitely worth checking out. Uh, Devin, you got anything to add before we move on? Yeah, to yeah, sure. Uh, this, just because you mentioned again, this is the mat I was talking about. Uh, I want to say it's probably about three feet long, uh, but it's uh, it's relatively thick. It's probably like a quarter of an inch, and it's okay. all super squishy. It's super soft, and it's got a, a, a kind of like rubber substance on the butt. It's just like a giant kind of skinny i mean it, it's you know yeah. six eight inches across a uh, kind of skinny uh, mouse pad that's like super thick and so i originally got this because i thought oh the skater dolly was the end to all my needs uh the difference is with this kickstarter is that i'm not assuming that this is going to replace a piece of gear this is going to get me a shot that i never got before um or it's going to like revolutionize my workflow uh, but i look at this as just kind of like a fun thing that uh, when I'm taking a trip, I'm making a travel vlog or something like that, it allows me to do like a sliding time lapse without me carrying a track around. Um, and I don't think it's that terribly hard to find smooth surfaces. And I think if considering how slow it moves and everything else, uh, but uh, it, it's just one of those that it just it seemed like a fun thing, not like oh I'll use this for my next you know gig or something like that and like b break it out and my clients like what's that and I'm like oh it's the future of dollying, <laughs> um, but uh, this this mat rolls up relatively thin. Uh, you, you could fit it into a backpack and stuff like that if you really think you're going to need it. Uh, but I look at this dolly more as like an opportunistic thing of like 
if I can find a flat surface and I've got like a GoPro with me or something like that, I'll be like, oh, I'll just set this thing, shoot a time lapse while I go do this thing over here. And it'll just go on its own and do its own thing. So um, to each their own, like I said, this isn't necessarily revolutionary. It's just uh, it's kind of a really nice price, which is surprising for a lot of Kickstarter stuff we talk about that's targeted at filmmakers. Well, and it's a uh, 360 and it's, degree it looks fun. Uh, device. So you can do uh, panoramas. You can do motion uh, slides over the course of a a duration of stills. So you can do time lapse of like a beach or something like that. It has enough speed that at full speed you can do a decent slide. It comes with rails. You for can do a the video. Yeah. yeah. So you know, and then I think the three twenty nine version even comes with a phone grip. So if you have like a, a, a mm-hmm. uh, iPhone six S, right? Something like that four K iPhone. That yeah. everyone's talking about. <laughs> no, well, okay, so that is becoming more and more prevalent where people who have an iPhone are now like, they don't want to make films per se, but they want their travel videos to be the most badass thing you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And now you see these guys that have like audio inputs for their cell phone devices. They have, you know, motion devices. They have little baby cranes. They have, you know, giant selfie sticks and all these things. And they're carrying them with them so that they can get the best video ever. This is just the iteration of that. I think uh, for yeah. regular filmmakers, it's cool. I would be, I you know, if I would be impressed if I was hanging out with Devin and he's like, here, let me get that slider shot. And he just pulls out one of these and like <laughs> unfolds it on the table and, you know, we get the shot. Yep. But at the same time, 329, I can think of a few other things that I might want to invest in for that price. I don't to, know. To be honest, to be honest, I'm not looking at the 329. Um, I, you know, it's while well, it comes with a lot of great stuff. What I wish is I got a little bit more for a little bit less, but I'm kind of looking at the, uh, or you know, I was looking at the 300. Now they're all gone, uh, simply because I wanted the pivot base with the rolling part as well. Uh, uh, but if I get rid of the pivot base, uh, the price goes down to like 200 bucks just to get uh, something that can do a curve or a straight dolly. Um, and then I guess I'd have to order the little... Uh, they have like a cheese plate that goes on top for support for mounting bigger cameras and making the weight more centered. Uh, because I don't find myself needing the track. It's like if I'm going to drag around the track, I'm going to drag around like a proper dolly and just, you know, or a proper slider and just use the proper slider and it'll be a lot faster and easier. Um, where I see myself so, using the track would actually be time lapse. It would be really nice to add some motion to some time lapse shots. And 20 inches yeah. is an extreme, but it's enough to give you that like feeling of motion in a time lapse shot. And yeah. you know, use something like Lapsy with your cell phone, strap it on there, and like program the two together. Bam! Now you can move at whatever speed. I would like to see mm-hmm. some sort of like uh, programmability via uh, maybe Bluetooth or USB on this thing. That might be out of the question because of the power restraints, but uh, I'm not 100% sure how that whole button click light thing on the <laughs> end really achieves your time for sure. travel. But but still, for me, uh, it's just it's really interesting. It's kind of fascinating, and it seems like it might be a lot of fun. And it's not outrageously priced. Um, you know, I could see myself using this more often than I ended up using, or I've been ending up using my six axis, which I spent about a thousand bucks on for a pan, tilt, sliding, full control motion system. It works great, but it's also you know noisy as hell. And I originally thought I'd use it for a few videos, and I ended up not using it for a few videos just because of how loud it is. It really made it so that I couldn't, you know, use any of the audio if I was going to use it for a video. So I've got, like, beautiful night lap shots of stars moving across the sky and everything else. I'm really happy with it. I've gotten a lot for it. And considering the price of it for a 1000 bucks, it actually, you get a lot for it. 
Uh, it's just one of those that I don't take it with me anywhere because it just doesn't seem that practical when you're actually on the shoot. But this is the guy that, whether it's practical or not, you might as well take it with you because uh, you might find an excuse to use it. All right, now you got me in show-and-tell mode. Look at this. Okay, so I don't know if I've talked about this before. This is the Swivel. Uh, it is a motion tracking, motion control device. You can program it to move at whatever speed, interval, and so on. But the cool thing about this is it actually comes with a little dongle, if I can find it. And the dongle, when you wear it, will track you and your position. Oh, oops. yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and how I many mean, times have you used it? Uh, I've used it twice. Twice. <laughs> how much was it? Uh, it was like four hundred bucks. But yeah, it, it's it's really cool. Now that I see it again, I'm like, man, I need to use this more. But it, it's got a, a LOV input, so you can actually run audio wirelessly from this LOV back to the device, and then an audio out that'll go directly in your camera. It's able to control Canon cameras. Uh, it's very smooth tracking and so on. But man, uh, these motion devices are always. I think where I'm going is they're aspirational. You're like, I need this. Yeah. I, you know, I want one of these. This is the thing that I have to have. And then I yep. get it, and you know, I'm like, well, I used it twice. Now what do I do with it? And there's always those times you plan to use something like this. Like maybe you need to get a uh, time lapse for the intro to some sort of video shoot or whatever. But otherwise, man, like you can spend a lot of money on these accessory devices that you hardly ever freaking use i don't think this is even charged yep. it's been so long sitting so good job dj way <laughs> to waste money on stuff i don't necessarily need now yeah last thing while we're on the wasting money subject yeah. let's talk about the leica sl 4k camera yeah what do you think man you i like spend... how you phrase that well what would it really tell me how you feel about it mister talking uh, about waste of money okay i'm gonna tell you how i feel about the leica sl 4k uh camera this is uh, it's overpriced it's a Cadillac. It, it's beautiful. The design looks really nice. They've done a great job on it. Uh, but $8,000? I mean, when do you buy this camera? You don't buy it if you have money to spend on an actual video camera because they sell actual video cameras that are cheaper than this. Go look at the FS7. Go look at the FS5. Go look at the mm -hmm. FS700. All of those are available for less than $8,000. Add a Leica lens to this thing, and you're going to be in the price of a used of uh, nice car or a brand new car if you drive like a Nissan Versa <laughs> or something like that. You know, that's oh crazy. So for filmmakers yep. and everything, I, I would say definitely not. Uh, for people that have excessive amounts of money to spend and want the best of the best in the craziest of the crazy, it is a nice looking camera. I mean, it, the yeah. design is cool. The form factor is cool. The programmable buttons, lots of great stuff. The eyepiece, a four megapixel screen inside of the viewfinder, that's really sexy. A video footage looks good out of this thing. I mean, everything's good except for the price. At the price right. point, you might as well get something else if you need a practical tool. You don't buy this because you need a practical tool. You buy this because it's going to look freaking awesome hanging off of your Armani suit that you're wearing down to the show floor to, like, see some vendors about a thing. You know, this is not what you buy if you're me or Devin because, you know, I could buy six cameras for the mm -hmm. price of this thing. Devin, do you have anything to add to that, man? No, no, and I completely agree with that. You can buy six cameras and... Uh, you, you know, like we just with all technology, you, you reach a point of diminishing return, and it, it depends on shoot to shoot. But like sometimes, rather than renting the Red Epic, you could have rented like a couple of GH3s or you know Canon 5D Mark III's or something like that, and you could have had way more production value by having a multi-cam shoot instead of having one camera. So uh, you know, to each their own. But for something like this, there's nothing compelling. There's nothing that grabs you. It's just simply the brand. 
Um, I, I imagine maybe in their heads they're thinking that they're ma- making the world's smallest like area Alexa or something like that. Uh, but to me, I go, no, this this lacks a bunch of. Um, I, I don't know. For this price, it sounds stupid, but for this price, I expect a bigger camera because I expect to have a button for every feature that I can memorize where it is and I can use it blindfolded. I'm expecting like internal ND filters most of the time, uh, as well as like global shutter and a bunch of other stuff. Like I expect a lot for this price point, considering Sony, Panasonic, everyone else delivers at this price point. Uh, and the fact that, uh, you know, this is just kind of like not there. I'm like, well, um, okay. I'm not really sure who you're marketing to, but if you're just keeping your name out there, okay, we all know you're there. You also need an accessory, actually, for this guy to use audio with it. So there's a special oh, yeah. adapter on the side. If you want to actually record audio with this thing, you're going to need to buy an extra little piece in order to accommodate that. Style-wise, I mean... This is one of the cooler-looking DSLRs I've seen on the market. It looks way nicer than a sure. uh, Sony A7S. But if I'm going to start spending this much money on something weird like this, I kind of like that um, – what was Sony's offering? The, was it like the R1 Mark II? Uh, is, you know the where it's yeah. like a fixed 35-millimeter F1.8 or F2 lens on mm-hmm. a full-frame sensor that you can't change anything? That would be if I'm going to buy something for style and, you know, uh, right. shoulder candy and like just to say, hey, look at how awesome this is. That would probably be where I would go. Or maybe like a nice uh, Fuji camera, you know, get one of those classy old rangefinder looking bodies or yeah. even the Olympus series. If you want to be on a budget and still be classy, I really kind of like the look of the OMD five. Uh, with the metal and the black leather and stuff. Uh, all that's cheesy, though. I don't really buy a camera because I need it to look awesome. I buy a camera because I need to actually use it for something particular. Uh, to me, it looks like a Sony. You think so? The front, Yeah, the front of this just looks like the new Sony's, just completely flat, um, you know, and a slightly different angle to the rounded edge. But it just kind of looks like um, – because Sony's are just flat with a little grip on the side. Yeah, so. here's a Sony right here, my A7S body, and uh, yeah, I guess you're right. Very it's flat plain, with a grip to the flat. side, yeah. and I think they they even use a Sony sensor. So there you go. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right. On all that right. note, we've made it an hour and eight minutes. We're over as usual, yep. as all Devin shows are. Devin, where can people find you, man? <laughs> they can find me on Twitter at DevoCut. And, of course, guys, you can find this podcast anywhere podcasts are distributed, including SoundCloud, iTunes, and so on. Make sure to leave a review because that helps us in the rankings and gets more people listening. Maybe we can even get sponsored at some point in the future. Or if you'd like to sponsor us, I don't know, call us today and we'll see what we can do. On that note, guys, (laughs) thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. This was Episode 64 of DSLR Film New Podcast, and we will see you next time on another show. (laughs) 